Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and we've got a very special episode today bringing on Tim Lester, Western Michigan head coach, former Syracuse offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and a guy who overlapped with Julian for, what, three years? Yes, three years. Uh, and it's weird because usually you don't, or at least when you're a defensive back like I was, you typically don't talk to your the offensive assistants all that often. Like I never um, hung out with the O-line coach very often or um, the quarterbacks coach like Lester was. It's like we, we hang out with our linebackers coaches and, you know, defensive staff, right? But uh, there's a moment with Coach Lester that I always remember and I wish I got to uh, talk to him a little bit longer just to say, hey, man, I really appreciated that. Um, we had... A, uh, it was just our our team dinner one day at the facility before we got on the bus to uh, get to the hotel, and one day he uh, he he saw me sitting by myself, and uh, and it wasn't like I was going through something. It was just guys had left and I was eating late. Uh, I'm sitting by myself. He comes over, sits down, he's like, "Hey, Julian, uh, it's a nice tie clip, man." And I'm like. <laughs> What's up with this guy? Like, it was our first, con- like, if we were there together for, like, two or three, I think it was, like, our second season together. I had yet to speak to this man. And he's like, nice tight clip. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, coach. I'm like, what's your angle? What do you want? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, I get nervous when all of his guys come over. He was like, no, I just wanted to let you know, uh, you got to put the tie clip between the, the first and second button. That That's how, you know, that, that gets to look for you. And for somebody who I, I live with my mom, uh, my grandfather was around, but not often. So my much of a father figure, like just little things like that, um, like it just stuck with me forever. Like it, it was, um, you know, obviously not a big thing. He sat down and, you know, helped me get right, put it together for me. And uh, but it was little things like that that I noticed that he did for a lot of offensive guys that really praised his presence um, that made me appreciate him as a coach. And uh, I never got a chance to say thanks, man. Like that that moment is very small, but it, it meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, but it, it is, I'm happy he got a chance to come on today. And uh, Coach Lester was, uh, while we only spoke maybe once or twice, and it was probably like joking like, hi, your receivers suck or something. <laughs> uh, it, I, I was happy we got to be on the same uh, team for a little while. He, he was a really good dude. Sure. I mean, he was, a, uh, I believe, a teacher's assistant for algebra and geometry at his old high school, uh, I think Wheaton Warren High School, um, while he was working out for the NFL Combine in like wow. 2000. So this guy has worn a shirt and tie a few yep. times. Yep. And uh, if you go back and pull up his XFL cards, you know, he might have been the one in need of a little bit of advice for his facial hair. <laughs> hey, man, when you know, you're living in Memphis and, and traveling around, and, and as, as we'll get into, right. you know, Tim, Tim enjoyed himself during those years. Um, so without further ado, you know, here's our conversation with, uh, with Tim Lester. Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. We're joined now by Tim Lester, Western Michigan head coach, former Syracuse offensive coordinator, former XFL quarterback. Um, Tim, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's nice to talk to you, Stephen. Absolutely. I wanted to get you in on this. Uh, you know, I know <laughs> the, the Western Michigan job has been your dream job. You applied for it when, when P.J. Fleck got it. Um, obviously set a lot of records there as a, as a quarterback and then was back as an assistant. You, you're two and a half or so years in now. You know, has it kind of lived up to the pedestal that you put it on? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's everything that you that you think it is. I mean, obviously, you know so much more about your alma mater than any other place, you know, and it means so much more. I always talk to people in film how much I enjoyed getting to know about the different traditions and meet the people at Syracuse and at Purdue. Uh, but, you know, it's different when you know everything and, and you cut your teeth at the same place that you're, uh, you know, you're representing every Saturday. So it's been a blast. It's been fun, and uh, we're, we're really enjoying it. Sure, de- definitely seems like some highs and lows in, in the first two-plus years. Um, se- seven and five season. Uh, you know, I saw you also ended up firing Tim Doust, a friend and former Syracuse D-line coach, uh, last November. You know, what, what was that like, and, and does that give you maybe a bit of a different perspective on, on what Scott Schaefer kind of went through when he was here? Yeah, I, you know, it's hard to tell. I don't know exactly, you know, what what Shake went through. I mean, the hardest part for me, you know, Tim Tim's a good friend, and and uh, and it was hard to do. The actual process of firing a friend isn't uh, isn't a fun one by any means. But uh, you know, we weren't we weren't playing very well on defense, and 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 the change had to be made in order to to accomplish our our team goal. And that's my job as head coach is make sure we get uh, to the point where we can win a MAC championship and. Defensively, we were in the bottom three teams in our league, and um, you know, and so you know, a change had to be made, and we made changes at a couple other places too after last year that I didn't feel like we were heading in the right direction, and and the new guys have done a great job, and and it's been it's been fun for us uh, with some of the new guys and the new new faces that we have around here coaching this year. Sure, you know, to whatever extent you're comfortable, can you can you kind of take me into that conversation? Just because I know you and Tim went through so much together in Syracuse and then to go take that venture together. Um, you know, how do you, how do you kind of broach that? Yeah, you don't. I mean, I called him down to my office and, and we had, you know, a very emotional conversation with both of us. And I told him I had to let him go. And I mean, they all knew we were in a tough spot, you know, um, that we had to be playing. We had to play better than we were playing. And, and, uh, you know, he understood that, that I had a job to do. And, and, uh, you know, we, we've talked since, you know, it's you know, we're not. I mean, we're not best friends. We're obviously at different places, but so you don't you're not spending 24 seven like we you spend with your coaches that are on your staff. But uh, it was definitely uh, an emotional. It wasn't a very long conversation. He understood what what I had to do and and respected that. And and then uh, you know we had to move on. We had a game in six days. We did it with one game left, and and uh, and then we went out and you know beat the. The what ended up being the MAC champions the next week, and the defense came out and they played, and and it was uh, it's been it's been a positive. It was not an easy thing to go through, but it's been a positive for our program. Sure, that's a perfect transition. I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about Lou Esposito and, and that kind of aggressive defense. Um, what's it been like to see that transition? And uh, Syracuse has has struggled, um, you know, the last two weeks against Maryland and Clemson. Uh, using some odd fronts, and I, I still think back to the Middle Tennessee State game a few years ago. You know, how how do you think your defense is kind of aligned to maybe do some of those things that have been successful uh, the last couple weeks for SU's opponents? You know, the the biggest thing is you know, Devito has not been been able to get comfortable in the pocket. That people have been able to get to him, which any quarterback, no matter what offense you're running, uh, you got to protect him first, and and that's uh. You know, Eric was able to get out of a lot of those situations. Even when I was coaching there, if, if we didn't do a good job in protection, he'd, he'd find a way to make a potentially game-changing negative play into sometimes a game-changing offensive play, and that's the power of having a guy like Eric Tunji, you know. So, um, 
you know, that that's the biggest thing is trying to keep these receivers, you know, not getting in space too often, tackling well, and and making sure that, that the quarterback doesn't have too much time. Obviously, Coach Paper's offense is historically a high-scoring offense, very difficult to stop the paces, electric coming at you. Luckily, two of the three teams we've played have been fast-paced teams. Uh, so we not that we're ready for it, but we've seen it at least. Uh, but you, you can't let a guy like DeVito sit back there and, and have his choice on one, two, three receivers or, or you're going to be in for a long day. So so you got to be able to, to put pressure on him, make make the ball come out, and then tackle those those electric guys in open space. Sure. As an offensive guy who's, who's installed systems in a bunch of places and, and worked with different lines and quarterbacks, what kind of challenge you know does it present to an offensive coordinator, a head coach, when you do have an offensive line that is is maybe not quite ready for for the opposition. Well, the hardest thing I think is just putting them in in good positions. You, if you know the if you know what your guys are best at, and obviously when you're shuffling, I mean when all of a sudden the left tackle becomes your center, it's hard to know what the left tackle is going to be good at at center. You know, is he going to be a good puller? Then you can run your pull schemes. Is he is he good at you know? Is he good at changing direction? Then you can slide and let him let him be a guy that changes direction. So, or you have to go full slide if everyone can only go the same way. So there's, you know, I've been an offensive coordinator long enough. I've had all different kinds of, of lines, and uh, you just got to try as as you figure out what your guys are best at. Try to continue to put them in situations, and that's really for every position, but that's the most important position, the O line, that they can have the best chance of being successful. Um, I don't know what that answer is for them, you know, but uh, but that's what you try to do as a coach. Sure. Obviously, last week it's a little harder when you're playing the number one team in the country. <laughs> yeah, they're electric. I mean, we uh, I had a chance to go down there and spend, uh, spend four days with uh, Coach Sweeney and their staff. I brought my offensive staff down there in March and uh, got, got to see, I think it was two spring ball practices. And, yeah, they have some, uh, they have some beasts on that defense and uh that was that was i mean we did we when we faced michigan state two weeks ago it was with raekwon williams and willikis i mean it was the only thing i've seen that's even in the ballpark as as those d linemen that clemson was rolling out there yeah isaiah simmons ability to to gobble up spaces watching it back on film coming from safety coming from the nickel i mean he's he was something else um and you kind of mentioned this earlier, you know, Syracuse doesn't have doesn't have Eric anymore, um, and he was someone I, watching Clemson games, he probably turned sacks into one or two yard gains, or, or like you said, breaks it loose. I'm kind of curious, you know, you're the, you're the guy who brought Eric to Syracuse. What's your relationship like with him now, and um, and what's it like to see him kind of maybe be in this middle ground a little bit between trying to chase a professional career and um, you know figuring out what's what's next in his life. Well, you know, I, I we text back and forth. We did through the whole draft. I mean, from the moment he got done playing, we started talking again. Other than when we played last year, and uh, he's doing good. You know, he's uh, you know I was talking to him when he was with the Giants for a little bit, and talked to a couple front office people with the Giants, and they they said he did a good job. Um, and now I I think he's going to join the XFL, which is funny because I that's what I played in. But this is a unique time. I went through the same thing of, you know, do I move on? Do I hang on? I think having other leagues that these guys, because I think Eric's a phenomenal athlete, and I think the more he can put film together of running different systems, maybe <laughs> maybe not the air raid or the or 
denote system, but more of a pro style and just put film together and get comfortable with being under center and taking seven step drops. And, um, I think he has all the ability in the world. It's just the, the, you know, he got to, went to a training camp and had to immediately look, you know, fluent in doing those things. And that's why that just doesn't happen in the NFL. So, uh, I'm hoping he, he holds on and, and gets a chance to, uh, you know, play in, in one of these other leagues because I think he has the ability to do anything if he just gets some reps at it. Sure, he, he actually worked out for the Browns either this morning or yesterday, and, you know, I, I, I see where you're coming from. You know, he when he went in with the Giants, you know, there's they wanted him to play some tight end, and I, I think his back was still bothering him from uh, the Notre Dame game at the end of last year. You, you kind of mentioned... I know you you did XFL Arena One Arena Two like what what's it like to go through that and, and, and for you how did you decide you know what do I want to keep pursuing opportunities or at what point do I want to shift in shift into coaching I guess yeah I think the biggest thing for me was the opportunity in coaching it was uh, I knew I wanted to coach college uh, I had good advice from my previous coach and said hey don't go become a high school coach because I will not be able to hire you from there. And so I put put feelers out. As soon as I joined the Arena League, I started putting feelers out to smaller colleges. Just so, so I wanted my foot in the door. It didn't matter what level of college, but it, but I wanted it to be a college job. So I was going to play Arena until the right job came along. And uh, midway through my last season, I got a call in June saying the offensive coordinator at Elmer's College had left, and they wanted to interview me. And I played in a, a game on Saturday, flew there, interviewed on Monday, got the job. <laughs> and played my last two arena games, and they was really just waiting for the right job. But it was a blast. I mean, arena arena football, we practiced at night. I woke up, I played golf all day, would <laughs> go throw six, seven, six, seven, eight touchdowns at night, and then get up and do the same thing the next day. So arena was a lot of fun. You don't make a lot of money, but it is a fun time uh, as you're holding on and putting film together and, and waiting for the right, the right next move, whether that is continuing to play, like I hope it is for Eric, or whether it's getting into coaching, which it was for me. Yeah, I was kind of going to ask you about about the lifestyle associated with that. I'm, I now I know where you got to play all your golf because you didn't get to play it a lot during the season um, when you were coaching. At least, you know what what was it like to be, I guess, relying on that income every day? Did you have another job as well? Like what what are maybe a couple of your favorite stories or you know memories from that era? Yeah, the off-season was fun because he had to get a job, you know. So I worked for, because I was in Memphis at the time, uh, and I worked for the Liberty Bowl. Uh, Steve Earhart was the, was the, what, CEO, owner, whatever you put that with the Liberty Bowl. So mm-hmm. I would sell advertisements, and I was in charge. The year I was there, I was in charge of uh, the Louisville versus, I believe, BYU was our bowl game. And so I traveled around with uh, John L. Smith, was the head coach at Louisville. And um, Tom Drew, I forget the AD's name. So my job was to drive them around and take them where they wanted to go, make sure they had everything they needed, and sold sponsorships throughout the uh, fall for that one big bowl game. It was great to meet people. A lot of the people I met throughout that bowl game, I've, I've run into again. And uh, but it was just a job I never thought I'd do. And uh, but it, it, was, it paid the bills until the following summer when we started Arena again. And uh, but I did. I met a ton of people, and they're all. It was still sports related, which was kind of cool. And uh, one 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 year in the fall, I helped out at a high school, just volunteered at a local high school, uh, St. Benedict's in in Memphis. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, hadn't won a game in like six years, and we won like two games. It was <laughs> like we won the Super Bowl. And uh, 
so yeah, it was some cool cool memories from from that the off seasons of when you're waiting for your uh, your arena league to start again. Anything in talking with Eric about that, you know, and I, I know initially he was kind of, uh, he pushed back on the idea of maybe playing in the CFL or the XFL, which is obviously more of a, th- more of a, a reality now than it was, but anything about, you know, talking with him just about kind of accepting that and, and the real opportunity that is there to put film together? Well, you know, in my opinion, I, I didn't really think Arena was putting film together uh, realistically. You know, you know I'm a numbers guy, and statistically going from the Arena League, uh, I went there to fill time and play a little bit and uh, and wait for my first coaching opportunity. But for him, I mean, the CFL, if that's a real-life possibility, obviously the XFL, uh, you know, Oliver Luck being involved in it is a pretty cool thing, and so I definitely think he, he sent a picture of the, his contract letter to me, just like, hey, I got a shot, you know, going to be in the draft. So I think the draft is in December, which is the same exact time ours was. So it's a weird fall. This is the hardest fall I ever went through, which is you're done playing. It's fall. I ended up being an in-school suspension coordinator. So I sat in the same room every day at West Aurora High School in Chicago and with all the kids that got in trouble, and I just stared at them the whole time. I made sure they sat in the room. That was from uh, August through December, and then I got drafted in the XFL in December and shipped out. But uh, it was a weird time. It's a transitional time where you have a lot of time to think, and at that point I started putting my playbook together, knowing that that was the end game, uh, but, but, but was more than willing to get one last shot at this XFL. And, and so I, I'm looking forward. I hope he gets a shot at that league because that, that league could be what we've all been waiting for, which is a chance for guys to develop and not be an all-or-nothing football thing. You know, you see, look at basketball and baseball. They have very good developmental leagues and, and uh, you know, development summer leagues and stuff like that, and we really don't have one, and this would be great if this is one. In-school suspension coordinators is not a job I've thought about before, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, any good stories Any good stories from that? Anything kind of? Someone has to sit in the room with those guys, and that's me. That was me. Uh, luckily, uh, they were overbooked because I was I was the one that was losing my mind. <laughs> and uh, a couple guys, a couple of the player, you know, a couple of those guys would want to spout off from time to time. But I had a guard outside the door, so I was good. And uh, and I said they had they did. I got luckily they respected me. I treated them with respect, and uh, and there was no issues. But I did get the opportunity to teach a couple math classes. They were overbooked in math, and they said, hey. We'll let you out of here for an hour a day if you'll teach a an algebra class. And I was like, I'm in. Just get me out of here for an hour a day. It'll be it'll be nice. And so I did get to, after about a week or two, I got to leave during the day and go teach one algebra class, which uh, was a good break to the day because it can be monotonous if you're the one in there every day. Yeah, I believe that. Coach Lester, it's Julian Wiggum. How's it going? Wiggs, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while. Uh, excited to uh, catch you this weekend. Yeah, well, I, it's good to hear your voice, man. And you're you're uh, doing podcast. I heard you just drove in. Yeah, yep. I was uh, on my way up. Came up from uh, Jersey City. Come do this thing with you. I love it. <laughs> well, um, you know, 20, 2015 was uh, both of our last years in Syracuse, and. Um, as a player, like a senior year, it's like, oh, what am I going to do next? Uh, what, what do I have going on? Do I go back to school or do I try to play pro ball? Yada, yada. There's a lot of guys thinking about that. Um, but it was a little bit different for the coaching staff 
And I'm wondering what that exit was like and what it was kind of like behind the scenes uh, dealing with Syracuse. Well, it, it was it was a de- definitely different. I mean, uh, you know, everyone can say whatever they want about Coach Schaefer, but he was an unbelievable person. And, yep. and uh, I, I don't know if they planned on firing us a week before the final game. Uh, I know that we were about to book all our flights to go out in recruiting, and it was going to cost the program a lot of money. Mm. And Coach Shape, Coach Shape went to them like, "Hey, we're about to book all these flights because uh, we're not idiots. Right. You know, it, it's a possibility." And uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, it happened. And uh, so it happened fast. And and um, you know, we had one game left. We had a blast that week with the players because we love coaching you guys. Yeah, it was a good time. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and we we ended up coming out. We won. You know, we beat Boston College in the last game, which I thought was a nice way. And and then it was you know get your stuff and and get out. You know, it was kind of a fast turnaround. They wanted us out of the office by Monday. Mm-hmm. Normally, you have a week, a week or two to put cut ups together and stuff. But we had Sunday and Monday to to get out and uh, and then start looking for jobs. You know, and I had I had three different opportunities and. And uh, chose chose to go to Purdue. It was close to home. I had a chance to coach David Blau, who's a guy who I recruited at Syracuse. I really liked, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it ended up working out pretty good. Uh, well, now that you're a, a head coach, um, and I'd imagine it's a, it's a lot different from being an assistant and, and working with specific guys every day um here in Syracuse still uh there was a lot of expectations for the season and what these guys were supposed to do and what they were supposed to be as a team uh what is it like as a head coach when maybe your team is a little bit behind schedule as far as maybe internal expectations as well as external and that's a hard one because you know I took over a team that went 13 and one mm. uh and, but we lost our quarterback, started 52 straight games. We had a first-round draft pick wide receiver here at Western in 2016. So I took over an undefeated team, and the expectations is we were going to go undefeated. And we pretty much – we didn't have one forward pass or catch coming back to our roster. <laughs> oh, um, but expectations were still that we were going to win it again. Yeah. You know, and uh, – so it was hard to manage, you know, and, and it's, it's difficult. I think the biggest thing when you're when you're coaching and you're in that moment is just making sure that the, the confidence level of the kids uh, stays high because there's no way you're ever going to execute at a high level without having confidence. I mean, mm-hmm. they need to have – and I think that's one of the things Dino does an unbelievable job of. Everywhere he goes, his kids have faith in the system. They believe in it. And I think sometimes they can even play above their ability level because of that confidence, mm-hmm. and that's – because uh, everyone's from outside saying they're not this, they're not that. When that kind of when those years happen, yeah. And and the key is that the, you just keep feeling invincible, you know. And and he's he's really good at that, and he's one of the best at that. And so, you know, whether however the Maryland game went, however the, you know, if you're watching the Clemson game, I mean, I thought they played pretty good. I mean, they had two turnovers, the two of the touchdowns. They they ran a trick play, they ran a fake jet sweep or a fake like option and then they ran like a fake screen and then they threw a bubble that should have been tackled for a one-yard gain and the guy from Clemson ran 80 yards uh I mean they were really solid you know they were inside the 10 four times and came away with six points and uh, I thought they played pretty well now the score didn't dictate that but uh you know you just got to keep that confidence up because it's the only way you're going to rebound got a, a couple more quick ones for you we know you got a busy week here so so over here, Syracuse has struggled to run the ball, and we've talked a little bit about their offensive line. Uh, I think I heard you say at your press conference that 
defending the run <laughs> has been uh, maybe a bit of an issue for you guys. Like, how, how important do you see that matchup being on Saturday? And like, what, I guess what's it like to maybe have that? Maybe people always talk about strength versus strength. It's kind of almost weakness versus weakness. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know the numbers are the numbers at the end of the day, and that's what you're watching and saying. What are we doing well? What aren't we doing well? And and obviously we got a new defensive coordinator, new calls. We've gotten better and better. I mean, the last half of football we played, we gave up 38 total yards, you know. But in the first half, they were able to get the ball in the A-gaps on us a couple times, and they popped some runs. So so we've talked a ton about making sure our gap integrity is good. Uh, we got hooked once or twice, and they were able to get big plays on us. Um, you know, coming in, Georgia State was averaging like 40 points a game. We really we, – we were ready for a battle, you know. And, and once the defense – they bent early on but didn't break, and then as the defense started to get confidence in, in what they were doing and how they were doing it and, and beating a guy to a gap, uh, you know, our, our defense got stronger as the game went on. And so uh, And, and on, from the Syracuse side, let's be honest, I mean, a run game is the quarterback's best friend, you know. Sure. And, uh, and they're a team that I think Moneal Mo can get downhill as good as anybody. And they got to create the hole for him, but uh, I think he's a great running back and uh, we – you know, I watched him in high school, and he committed uh, during that fall of my final year there. And I think he's a pretty special back. So it's definitely going to be a part of the game that I'm sure they're going to try to do, and we're going to continue to try to stop it, and it'll be, it'll, it'll be a telltale sign of how the game goes. Sure, sure. And uh, we'll get you out on this one. Let's pretend there's no football game this weekend, and you're just coming back with your family. you got 48 hours in, in the Syracuse area. What are you going to do? What are all the spots you got to hit that you used to like while you are here? Well, dinosaur would be obviously. There we go. I'm, I'm going to have that anyway. We're getting that delivered to the hotel for the coaches on tomorrow night. <laughs> so uh, I already I already have that coming to the hotel. So I, I'm even though there is a game, I'm having dinosaur. Uh, that would probably be the main spot. There is a oh, I wish I remembered the name. There's so many good restaurants. The one thing I'll say about upstate New York that I did not realize until I went there was there are so many. Uh, family-owned places it is the coolest thing in the world if you love food and you love like there's no dairy queen it's all it's always owned by some some family that makes their own ice cream or some italian place that owns that from aldi's and like this it's amazing because we're in the midwest there's a ton of chains i mean you can go to chili's or you i mean i know there's one chili's there but there's just not a lot it's all home family places that have been uh, they have their special recipes and stuff and my wife and I love, I mean, maybe we're foodies, I don't know, but, uh, you know, uh, well, Weg, Wegmans, 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 what's yep. Wegmans. Yeah, that, that place is unbelievable, it's just a grocery <laughs> store that you can go hang out at, like, they don't have those other places, so it's, uh, there's definitely some, uh, some things that I would love to go see if I, if there wasn't a game. Yeah. You guys qualify as foodies, Chicago and New Haven, somewhere in Connecticut? Don, yeah. where Don's from? Well, she's from Long Island, but she went to school at uh, Southern Connecticut State in New okay. Haven. Yes. Okay. So it's uh, I really I, I just didn't know I didn't know that there were places that didn't have a McDonald's on every corner, you know. And you actually got to know the different people at the different sub shops and Italian places and steakhouses and uh, we have that in downtown Chicago, but not in the burbs. The burbs are pretty much all strip malls and and all commercialized you know so it was it was a blast going there and getting to meet the people and the culture and the food and it's an awesome place for sure 
All right, Tim, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it, and uh, probably see you Saturday. Good talking to you, Coach. All right, we'll see you Saturday. Thanks, guys. See yeah. you later. All right, we're back. Thanks again to Tim for coming on. That was really fun. Um, we're going to dig into this Western Michigan matchup really quickly, hit some fan questions, and then uh, give you our predictions. So a little bit of the talk around town this week has been, you know, how important is this game? Obviously, Syracuse 1-2 and two, uh, doesn't – you know, take much thought to realize how bad one and three would look after a 10-win season and, and what, what could that do to the mental state of this team. So, you know, Julian, you've been on, on teams that have probably underperformed at times. You know, what do you think this group is going through and, and just how crucial is, is this game this weekend? Yeah, so I think it, this is a, a pretty big deal. So starting off, one, I expect Syracuse to win this football game, right? And whether it's a big deal that they win or lose, I don't think that's that's the biggest you know question. I expect them to win this game. Um, if they lose, I'm I'm at the point where it's like this season, you know, it might be over. Like <laughs> it, it really might if they were to lose this football game. So I expect them to win. Uh, but I think how they win uh, is the most important aspect of this game, and and why I think it carries so much weight. I I need to see them cut in my it's it's my First week thing, again, checking boxes and understanding what this football team has and what they can do. I would like to see some actual protection for DeVito. Would like to see him be able to stand upright in the pocket and see him throw the ball downfield. Uh, would like to see a rushing attack start to open up. That means the passing attack was working. Receivers were on the ball, catching footballs on the outside, spreading some things out, because you know Western Mission's going to come out with that three-man front, bring pressure from different areas of the field, and find a way to confuse that offensive line, find a way to get to DeVito. So if they can find a way to keep him upright, maybe even you know screening out uh, how this rushing attack ends up going. Lester talking about rushing attacks, the quarterback's best friend. So I want to be able to see what kind of uh, offensive attack the, the Syracuse team can put together because if it still seems like they're sputtering and not quite putting things together after uh, four weeks now and still slow against the Western Michigan team that I think they should be able to handle, I'm going to have some concerns even if they find a way to get the win because this is this is a point in the season where you want to start to see some things turn. And internally as well, this is a moment where a lot of teams, you know what, I'm just, I'll say it like this. This is a point in the season where a lot of teams fight. They typically, and I've been on teams where the fight is good, and I've been on teams where the fight doesn't end up well. And what I mean by this fight is there was a moment in my freshman year, freshman season 2012, Ryan Nass was the quarterback. I think we started the season uh, like one and two, similar. Penn, Penn State game was the opener, right? Yeah, yeah. We started off uh, poorly, and then. Um, yeah, uh, 2013 was uh, Penn State Open. We had Northwestern. We didn't start off very well. And uh, we had a meeting where a lot – it wasn't even a meeting. We were in the locker room. And I'm, I'm a freshman. I didn't talk to anybody because you know the rule. Freshmen, rookies, they don't talk. So I'm just sitting out hanging. And I see some guys, like they start – like they're just chirping, yada, yada. Oh, you guys should be doing this or you guys should be doing that, right? But eventually you could st- the tensions kind of rose up because, you know, those, those losses, they weigh on you a little bit. And these guys essentially really fought it out right there. Guys had to come up, seniors. Uh, Shamarco came up, like, hey, 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 what's going on? And that separation and that quick fight ended up, the coach had to come in. Marone ended up settling everything, and we had to have a meeting about it. But it gave us a chance to refocus, like, oh, there's, people care. People care right now about what's happening, and the, and the message was, hey, take that passion uh, that you're taking out on your teammate and actually put it towards your game plan. 
and what you're supposed to be doing. And that fight ended up working out really well for the team. You know, we ended up going eight and four, won a bunch of games uh, and went to a, a great pinstripe bowl. But then later on, 2014, a very similar fight happens and it just didn't go well at all. You know, it's a linebacker telling quarterback, yo, you're terrible. And then offensive guys trying to defend him, but they kind of felt the same way and it just didn't work out. So um, there's there's a moment uh, in locker rooms where you kind of reach that uh, apex where guys start to have some tension. And it's like, all right, we got to figure out who we are right now. It's either going to go one way or the other. And we talked about this in the preseason. Like, I think this team's going to be either really good or really bad. So this Western Michigan game, I think it's it's important, not from a win-loss aspect, but as far as what this team can actually demonstrate in terms of uh, production and fluidity in this offense. I think the defense will be fine, but we got to see this offense start to, you know, catch a stride, hit a little bit of rhythm. Otherwise, man, even a win might look uh, poorly on this team in the outlook of the rest of the season. Sure, and, and you know you've you've got a defense here that's probably carrying the weight, even even with some steps forward. So you you wonder what those personal relationships are going to be like. Um, I, I'm I'm not as certain as you that this is a, a win that can necessarily be written in. You know, I was uh, looking at at Western Michigan's guys, and I think they've got a really good running game. Levante Bellamy, uh, I think, went for like 160 yards and three touchdowns last week. Um, the wide receiver that I'm sure Syracuse fans remember, Dwayne Eskridge, who went off and got behind the SU defense last year, is playing corner now. So maybe we'll see a little bit of press coverage and. I mean, look, you saw, you saw what Clemson did last week with their athletes is, you know, we're going to try and trick you, put a three-man front, move our, move our guys around, and, and, you know, take away the wide receiver screens with press man coverage. So, can, can, to me, can the Syracuse coaching staff find a way to put its pieces in the right places to be successful? I think this is a, a really pivotal game um, for the team's mental state. And you can kind of tell just talking to guys on Tuesday, like, you know, there's there. You got a little bit of confidence back against Clemson in the defense, but to me, there's still a little bit of nervous energy. So, um, I, I I think it's I think it's going to be really big. Um, and on on the defensive side, I do think they got their edge back, but they're dinged up. If Fatu Melifon, Andre Cisco both got hurt against Clemson, you know, we'll see uh, if they play this weekend. Um, but yeah, big big time game. Um, let's uh, jump over to a few fan questions. Had one specifically for Julian, actually. Oh. Um, I understood most of it. Question for Julian from Q Sports 44. How did it feel tackling Bachelor, the Bachelor's biggest star in Tyler Cameron from Wake Forest, <laughs> who now dates Gigi Hadid? <laughs> this is actually um, really funny. I saw this earlier as well. Uh, so I know Tyler. He, uh, we went to school. We didn't go to school together, but he went to Jupiter. He's from Palm Beach County. So we played in high school as well, and I've we used to see each other. This is gonna sound super Palm Beachy, and I don't I don't know how I feel about it internally. But we used to see each other on like the boats, <laughs> <laughs> like whenever we went out on the boat and we're hanging out, it's like, oh yo, what's going on, man? And yada yada, and we chop it up for a half a second. Um, but yeah, he gave me two interceptions in high school, and I got the sack in the picture. Um, in college. So my thought process is, hey, man, I, I think I'm a pretty decent looking dude. I think I should be on The Bachelor. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't know if I could quite pull off some of the looks that he's uh, putting out here, <laughs> especially this, <laughs> this picture. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, Tyler's my guy, man. And uh, I'm happy for his success and all everything he's doing with The Bachelor. Clearly doing pretty well for himself. Yeah. I can't argue with that. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> uh, from Nathaniel Schwartz, Julian may not answer this as the nature of it probably comes off as disparaging current players, but I'll try. Do other similar programs that run an up-tempo offense struggle to recruit good offensive linemen? If no, why does SU? If yes, is it because O-linemen prefer to run block? Well, you can definitely answer that no- a little bit of it. Being so tight with linemen. Uh, yeah, so uh, from the offensive linemen that I've talked to, they certainly prefer to run block. Just block the guy right in front of you and try to maul him, run him over. And then when you're in an up-tempo system, you got to run all the time. And offensive linemen, they don't like running either. And that pace can sometimes be a deterrent to some offensive linemen who may prefer a more pro style approach uh, where there's an easy tempo uh, you're already you're going in to be a part of a line that wants to run the ball you know the uh, Michigans the Stanfords the Alabamas of the world and those types of offenses that really have an emphasis on having a power offensive lineman and maybe some uh, power run elements that you may not see Syracuse run they're a zone blocking scheme uh, a lot of a lot of I know a lot of linemen who do not like to zone block just because of uh, the steps and the the, the required agility and how much thinking there may be. Uh, and some guys just don't get it. Um, I, I personally, I, don't, I think zone blocking is a lot like being in zone coverage as a defensive back. There's surprisingly a lot of similarities between a secondary and an offensive line. Maybe it's just the, the unit aspects. But um, in terms of zone blocking, you just pick up the guy in your zone. Um, whereas in the secondary, you also are picking up the guy in your zone. But what gets confusing is, oh, do I buy this guy or do I buy this guy when they start to load up certain zones? And that's where the thinking part can get a little bit tricky and where guys can mess up. So there, there's an element where oh, you certainly don't want to have to think when you're on the off. You don't want to think at, at all, really, in football. You want to just be able to process and go. Uh, but, yeah, certainly there's, there's an aspect where I think some of the smarter recruits with more options will say, Ah well, I don't maybe maybe I don't want to be a zone blocker, or maybe I do prefer uh, this kind of offense versus this spread offense, and what it can mean for uh, my future opportunities, whether that be in NFL or anything else. So, yeah, there's certainly uh, you know a, a a difficulty to recruit offense linemen, I think. But um, in terms of this group, man, it seems to be that they're just you know spot on, just struggling to understand the concepts and that's going to be on the coaches to get those guys right and in terms of uh recruiting these guys man um there's always going to be a challenge and i'll say this i mean it's you know it's easy to say hey you know they they need to have more guys in place they've they've run into some issues heckles obviously hurt uh tyrone sampson a four-star center two classes ago they parted ways before the early signing period you know i don't think the full story on that has ever really come out um, but I think he's someone who they envisioned as an important player in the line. Um, frankly, they wanted to get Ryan Roberts, uh, another graduate transfer last year, I believe, mm-hmm. from Northern Illinois. He chose Florida State, you know, and, and and here here they are. Here they are with a group that has a couple guys who are ready, another guy in Ryan Alexander who I think maybe you, you hoped as a grad transfer would be closer to where Coda Martin was, and, and then you got two guys in there who are first-year starters, and – it's it's been rough, um, but I think it's I think it's reasonable to uh, you know to criticize them a little bit for their recruiting efforts because in, you're in year four here. You, I think you need to have uh, more proven guys ready to come in. Um, so this is the, the last question we got. Bob Cuse on the loose. 
The choice to move service to center and Vetterell to tackle seems like a bigger leap than to keep service at tackle, having someone younger or more, or more inexperienced playing center. I understand calling the defensive schemes can be difficult, but blocking defensive ends is a bigger learning curve. Insight, please. Bob, I would encourage you to listen to our last podcast where we talked about um, the, the scheme that, and this is part of Dino Baber's scheme, is what Art Bryles did at Baylor and the reliance on those interior linemen to get a push on the inside zone. When you have wide splits for your slot receivers, you want to attack the middle, so that's why you put, in theory, your best blockers in the middle. Um, to get a better push, and, and and I'm not saying that's necessarily what's worked. I'm not I'm not saying it's worked well here by any means, but to me, I think that's part of why they do it. And you also have services two years of experience at center. You'd like to think that'll help him in identifying blitzes. I don't know if it did against Clemson. I I guess it could have been worse. Um, but you know, I'm I, I'm with you in this sense is that I I have I have wondered. You know, well maybe you flip those guys. You know, Vitarello worked a little bit at center in camp. He struggled with snapping the ball. Uh, Patrick Davis has worked there a little bit. Um, Evan Adams, I think a few camps ago, got some work in at center. So it wouldn't be the most shocking thing to me. But if you're asking me, well, why do they why do they do that there? I, I'm sure Dino and those guys have looked at multiple lineups. I, they had at least a dozen in camp, and, and you know this is the one they've settled on uh, for better or worse. You know they've tried to help the tackles with tight ends and running backs, and. Uh, I mean, it hasn't worked, obviously. So, uh, you know, we'll see if they keep with it, and, and especially when they go empty. You know, those guys are are obviously on an island out there. Um, so, all right, thanks so much for the questions, as always, guys. We're gonna hop into our predictions. Uh, Julian, you know what uh, what you're thinking for this weekend? Um, I don't. I'm about to come up with this uh, <laughs> on the fly. Secret to... Very scientific. Yeah, no. Secret to uh, anyone who's ever listened to me on the show. Like, I come up with it literally five to ten seconds before I'm asked because I'm like, I, I don't know how to predict a score. Um, yeah, so I think this is going <laughs> to end up being... I think Syracuse's offense finds a way to win this football game and actually put up some points. I think they start to open it up this week. Um, I think it's still ugly how they do it. I'm going to give them a uh, 27-14 win over Western Michigan. Again, I think the defense does well enough. Keep them in the game. Keep points low for Western Michigan. I think they scheme up some ways to find a way into the end zone, but I think Syracuse's offense does enough to get into the end zone, score some points, and win this football game. Yeah, I got Syracuse winning too. I got 34-27. You know, I I think this is an opportunity for the offensive line to to gain some confidence. We we heard Tim Lester talk a little bit about, you know, his front, and and they've they've struggled a bit to defend the run. Um, So it's kind of weakness versus weakness. You know, I think Syracuse, if you can get holes from O'Neal and Abdul Adams and Jarvion Howard, and hey, maybe we'll finally see Juar Jordan, the fastest guy on the team, actually get a shot to, uh, to run the ball. Um, you know, I think there's there could be an opportunity for those guys, and obviously if you can run the ball, the vertical passing game does open up. Um, I think part of the reason Clemson was so successful is because, you know, it, its corners on the outside were able to press and, and take away the screens, and they covered uh, DeVito's first read on a lot of those plays was Sean Riley on a curl. Well, he's got two seconds and it's covered. That's that. So I think you can get him a little more time. You can get the passing game going. I think the offense will take a step forward. I, I actually think the defense is going to, have a little bit of a harder time. You know, I, I like to think they'll be able to get to John Wasink, but again, you know, if if Iffy and Cisco potentially aren't in there, you're you're relying on some guys who who haven't been in there the last few weeks and uh, Levante Bellamy and, and we'll see if D. Eskridge plays some wide receiver again. You know, they've they've got people who can make explosive plays. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Western Michigan get out there for, for a couple long touchdowns. 
Um, but I still have Syracuse taking it down, and then you get Holy Cross in a bye week and you can kind of take a deep breath before NC State. Um, so, yeah, thanks as always for listening, everyone. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, give us five stars. We really, really appreciate that. And we will talk to you after the Western Michigan game. Thanks. <laughs>